Thank you so much for downloading this episode of So What Do You Really Do, the podcast where I, your host, Dead Air Dennis Maller, interview artists and entertainers about their day jobs. And on the podcast today, I am happy to introduce you to uh, a very funny comedian, a very smart guy. Um, and I've never told this to him, so if he listens to this introduction, he'll hear this, that he is uh, one of my local inspirations for getting into comedy. Uh Comedian Rob Mayer out of the DMV, D.C., Maryland, Virginia area, uh, was a comedian I met early in my career. Actually, before I even started really doing stand-up comedy, I was working uh, at the Baltimore Comedy Factory as a doorman. Um, my friend uh, Brett Bean, uh, who is the person most responsible for me getting into comedy, so blame him. Uh, he got me the job at the door because he w- started working there and was, was a comedian, and they needed door staff, so he brought me in and... Working with Brett um, and then uh, Jeff, who would soon be my roommate, working with those two guys um, really forced me into getting into comedy in all the best ways possible. Force may be the wrong word, but um, also meeting Rob Mayer and a lot of the comedians at the Baltimore Comedy Factor. Uh, Rob was an inspiration to me um, for his, both his comedy and the person he was. And one of my favorite memories in comedy was just one night after uh, everything uh, had ended at the Comedy Factory. Him and I just uh, went downstairs to the restaurant below the factory and just, you know, ate a turkey club and sat and talked comedy. And that was the moment I was like, okay, I need to get my shit together and start doing stand-up comedy instead of putting it off and making every excuse why I shouldn't do it. And, of course, it still took a number of years <laughs> before I started, but I never forgot that conversation that I had that night with Rob. And he probably doesn't even remember it happened at all, but... It meant a lot to me, and then he would run um, open mics in the D.C. area. So when I started really doing comedy, uh, you know, I reached out to him to go do spots at his places, and every time I go back to Baltimore, I, uh, you know, message him or try to connect with him. Uh, So I'm really glad that I had him on the podcast because I wanted to talk to somebody who is a professional comedian, who is a full-time entertainer, who is a person who is directly, uh, whose livelihood is directly affected by this whole COVID-19 thing. So we talked about where he was, when everything went in effect, how things changed over that short period of time, where he's at now, and how he's trying to cope and deal with it, and what his opinions of life in comedy, life in entertainment will be after this is all said and done. And I think it's a great, interesting conversation that I had, and I hope you enjoy it as well. Um, I know COVID-19 is a thing that we can't coronavirus is a thing that we can't get away from right now anywhere and that's what a lot of my episodes you know are going to be going out here because we can't get away with it and i do want to be that person that gives you an escape from all that but i think hearing how this is affecting people differently is very important because i think as entertainers we don't necessarily talk about what this situation has done to us And there's a lot of people in worse situations, and it's not terrible for us, but sometimes you don't think about how this is affecting entertainers. Like, a lot of my social media feeds at the beginning of this quarantine was, hey, support all the bartenders and restaurants that are closed or not working because of this. Support the musicians that go to to these shows that play. And very few people were saying, hey, there's also comedians that are affected by this because it's so easy to not think of us as people (laughs) because what do we do we tell jokes so you know so much of society we forget that that is a craft and an art form and a form of entertainment and a form of escapism for you the audience because we tend to hold music in such higher regard Um, and it's probably because you know the comedy industry is so tainted with people who 
aren't putting that much effort to creating the craft properly. And so we, as an uh, as an audience, tend to focus on those too often. And we're also made in entertainment to be, you know, someone who says that they're a comedian, they're made out to be a joke. Like, I remember watching, um, what is that, Avenue 5, that HBO series uh, with Hugh Laurie about the spaceship cruise, the cruise spaceship out in space that gets... Uh, derailed, and of course, what happens? There's a cruise ship comedian who's terrible and awful, and that's what we tend to think about a lot. Whereas in the reality is, there's a lot of amazingly talented people out there uh, who are doing comedy, and so maybe we don't think about how this has affected them. And I wanted to highlight some of that with uh, comedians because that is what I'm surrounded about. And honestly, I do want to talk to some musicians in the future. Maybe I will, but for the time being, please enjoy my conversation with comedian Rob Mayer. Uh, all right, Rob, let's uh, just go ahead and do the, the question that we have to ask every single person that we come in contact with right now is, how are you doing right now? Which we all secretly know means, are you sick? Uh, no, physically, I'm, I'm fine. I'm, I'm actually drinking less, which is the weird thing for most people these days. I'm eating a lot more, so I'm not, I'm not being healthier. <laughs> uh, don't get me wrong. I, uh, I keep saying i think in april i said i'll I'll, that'll be the month i get in shape and now i turned that into may and maybe (laughs) it'll be june but i i feel like the uncertainty of of when this will end my unemployment uncertainty the future of comedy uncertainty that's that's my uh my stress is from that it's not it's not from getting sick so yeah you're basically physically well but you're having that existential dread constantly looming over your head basically yeah i mean you know just as this business already it's there's uncertainty it's not a nine to five you don't know well i'm gonna get a raise in a year and this is gonna happen and i'm gonna slowly move up the ranks so there's already just just when things are going great there's a level of uncertainty you know you could have a great three months and then a shitty two months and you're back to where you started um but I mean, I I was excited about this was a good year. Like things were starting, a couple things were happening, and we were progressing the first couple three months, and then it's just you know two steps forward, seven steps back. Yeah. Well, let's start with that. Um, let's go back to where were you when the big time quarantine started to affect? Because I think I, you were probably I think I think I remember hearing you were in Richmond. Right when all the quarantining and everything went in effect? Uh, Virginia Beach. Yeah, I was in uh, Tampa the week before at the Improv, and it was packed. Um, I was making jokes about it. Nobody seemed to be concerned. I mean, it's Florida. Um, And then I was supposed to be in Toledo that weekend at the Funny Bone with with David Koechner, and that's when Ohio started to get super strict, and then they – you know, they said uh, you couldn't have, uh, you have to be 50% or less capacity in bars and clubs and restaurants. And so then um, they pulled that week and then VA Beach had an opening for the feature. So I picked that up last minute with uh, Steve Byrne and we just did Friday and Saturday. And it was, uh, it was low numbers, but it was an interest. The people were, it was, they were good audiences, not numbers wise, but in terms of just, you know, they wanted to be there, but you could tell that uh, things are about to get, uh, you could tell that was going to be the last gig for a while. Between Tampa and Virginia Beach, 
did you notice a drop off of making jokes about coronavirus? Like the audience was like, ha ha ha, coronavirus. And then by Virginia Beach, you're like, yeah, no, stop joking about that, please. I, well, just the, the, in between Tampa and Virginia Beach is when, um, you know, Tom Hanks and his wife got it, the, uh, the Utah Jazz basketball players. So, and, you know, when the NBA and then it, so it, a lot happened in that week to change people's mindsets. But in Tampa, every single show, I was opening up with, you know, you know, fuck this coronavirus. Am I right? And I put my hand out and some guy in front would shake it. Then I'd be go, that's exactly what we shouldn't do. And it, would, it would crush every show. I'd be like, you don't know where my hand has been. And so in VA Beach, I um, I tried that and it still worked. People still were falling for it, but it wasn't it get it doing as well because it seemed like that was actually more risky to do than than the worth the uh, the payoff of the punchline. So you already got the feeling while you're in Virginia Beach that everything was going to pretty much come to a halt. What were your initial thoughts when you started seeing your, your, cause you are a full-time entertainer now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, and I, for you, I go beyond saying comedian cause you know, die laughing productions, even though it's all comedians working on it, mm-hmm. it's more acting than it is anything. And it's more entertainment level than it is stand-up comedy, even though yeah. it is comedy. So I like to say that you're more than a comedian now, but you're a hundred percent. Yes. You're a 100% mm-hmm. entertainer now. Um, and that's where all your money and your income comes from. And you're starting to watch these things get canceled and, and you having to, you and Joe having to make the decision of canceling shows yourself with die laughing productions. What were your initial feelings during these? Was this, eh, we'll just cancel a couple. We'll be back on our feet soon. Or it's like, Oh, this is going to be, was it panic from the first cancellations or somewhere in between? Um, well, I'm an optimist by nature. So, and the very fact that this, we've never seen anything like this in our lifetime. I was, you know, it, I didn't wrap my head around right away that this was going to last, you know, months. Um, my first concern was, okay, I guess if, if people aren't going to go out to shows, then we'll still have shows, but they won't be as well attended. And for the murder mystery, we're getting a door deal pretty much every show. So we're probably going to just make half as what we made. And then I was like, okay, we're going to have no shows. So, and you know, it wasn't that long ago that I thought that, you know, early May, we might be able to do some shows again. And we could, I, and if we were in, well, not in early May, but in different parts of the country. We're in D.C., Maryland, Virginia. That won't happen uh, in May at all. But there are other, like in Utah, they're opening up comedy club. But it's still, you know, it's got to be worth it for these venues to open if they know they're only going to be at, at half capacity. So it's just what's, there's a cost to just being open. And so in Virginia, like we have, we had an April date that moved to June. I thought at the time, yeah, we'll definitely do that. And now probably 30% of less chance that that'll probably get moved. So now I'm thinking July. When you started seeing all these cancellations, what ideas did you start coming into your head about how you can still make some semblance of an income while being quarantined? Well, I've been, um, shooting to, to, to make an, uh, put out a new album. I, I've been recording all my sets. I have a, this lapel mic that goes into my phone. So you get really good audio, just not just for me, but from the audience. Um, so I've been doing that for a while. So I don't quite have enough 
or I've never recorded a set thinking this was going to be an album. I've just been recording along the way, but I did have a particularly, I think it was a good, in good set back in February at the Columbus funny bone sold out 350 people. And it was uh, very representative of my comedy jokes, crowd work, interweaving some really fun, organic moments. So I thought let's just release that entire set unedited. I mean, I've got my T-shirt pitch in there. It's, it's literally what you would see if you came to see me at a show. I'm not recording for an album. This is just my set. So I thought, let's put that up as an album. I called it Comedy for the Quarantine. And uh, that did, you know, that's done pretty well. And it was also in the beginning, it gave me something to uh, just to focus on and to make it and to allow myself not to think that my career was just stopped. So do you, uh, now you just recorded... Uh, special with Dry Dock, Dry Bar Comedy, Dry Bar, sorry, in, Dry um, Bar Comedy, um, in November. Mm-hmm. How different from the Dry Bar is is the, the Dry Bar Comedy that, special that you recorded? How mm-hmm. different is Comedy for the Quarantine to that? Mm-hmm. I mean, so I know the bar, answer. It's clean. Clean. <laughs> um, so, you know, I was when I first heard about Dry Bar, it's super popular i got like five million followers on facebook i mean they put up a clip it's got a hundred thousand views and they have a, a market and it's generally not you know i don't consider myself a clean comic but when i start to really look at my jokes okay i, I that's that curse word in there is completely unnecessary and and i could tweak a few things and then there's some jokes that i haven't told or i should have told more often now that I realize it, that are clean, that I should sort of work back into my set. So I put together, you know, a set that I thought was representative of me as a comic. I wasn't compromising who I am just to be clean. And, um, and it was really good. And, it, it, you know, it's, they said May would come out, but that was a couple months ago before all this hit. So I don't know if that, if their ability to um, edit things is slowed down or if it has no effect, that's probably something you can do remote, but, but I don't know. So hopefully that'll come out um, you know, any, any week now. And that'll oh. give me something else to just to push and, and to promote. And, uh, and there are, it's, it's good to have, look, a clean tape, a clean video is better to promote yourself than a dirty one. It opens more doors. Yeah. So do you think dry bar is more, this is comedy I want for people to see, whereas comedy for the quarantine is Rob Mayer's comedy. Does that make sense in that um, difference? I think actually, I understand what you're saying, but I I think the dry bar stuff is my comedy. It's it's got it's clean. It's not, but it has a little more edge than the typical clean dry bar stuff. But I do think it's very it, it is representative of me as a comic. So yeah, obviously there's dirty jokes that I think are great jokes that I that I don't tell on there. Um, but there's a lot of comics that are that do clubs that have dirty jokes that have done dry bar and have done really well with it. So I feel like, um, you know, there are the cruise ship comics that are doing it. And then there's just the corporate clean comics that are doing it, but there are also club comics like me, you know, that have done it. Josh Snead, people like that. Going back to die laughing productions, uh, with that, you guys have done a few things and I know that you're, you're not the soul of die laughing, but it's you and Rob. And then, you know, Tommy yeah. and Eric and everybody else involved are mm-hmm. just as involved uh, with making it happen as, as mm-hmm. you and Rob are, or as you yeah. and Joe are as the creators. <laughs> There's a couple things that you guys did that 
you put out like you guys did a, a raffle for tickets and you yeah. guys put out an album. What was the inspiration behind those other than, hey, there's something we can do to make money? Well, it's neither of those are really big money makers. It's just yeah. we're doing we're just you got to keep your name out there. What we did a video that the DC Improv was doing a telethon and and they asked us if we could put together some sort of video and it, we ended up it took longer so that didn't work out for the improv. But it's just a um a song parody like a like you'll see late at night like a commercial for some it's the best of the 90s pop tracks. And and so we just did this pop goes the pandemic with a bunch of <laughs> song parody. It's something that we could do remotely. We don't have to get together, obviously, and shoot. So it's mainly Eric and Tommy singing various, you know, COVID nineteen, come on Eileen, various scared as hell versus good as hell, Lizzo, <laughs> just little song parody stuff. Then Justin doing this little video in the middle of it, and and then Katie and Joe, and we all have a little piece that we've added to it. So we got, I mean. I don't know. We got six, seven thousand views for it. it. It's funny. It's definitely edgy. It's definitely not. It, it got too edgy to really go viral, viral. <laughs> but um, but it is it is our brand. So it was very on brand. A lot of people refuse to just sit stagnant during this whole thing. So they're creating Facebook live comedy shows and Zoom mm-hmm. comedy shows and 98 Rock, who you've been associated with and mm-hmm. is a fill in jock at, have done a lot of, you know, Zoom happy hours with meetings, and, uh, Zoom happy hour meetings with listeners and stuff like that when those started coming around what was your opinion on it was were you the oh this is weird or hey this is innovative or Mm -hmm. something different no in the beginning i was like no that's that's not for me It, it just you know it's comedy you need a live audience and and I actually had a friend, Mike Quinlan, ask me to do a show, and I said no because of that reasons. And then, like, a, about a month into this, I was like, well, it's just something to do, you know? So I did one for my friend Blair Postman, and then Mike saw it. He goes, hey, what the hell, man? You said no to me. Go, I'm, I'm sorry. I'll do yours now. So, you know, it's it's still weird, but I think try to tell your jokes in a more conversational way isn't the end of the world. Um, cause it is a different, you know, you can't, you know, jokes are written to be performed in front of an audience, not to be, you know, read as a blog or something. So, but I've done some, the DC improv just did something and they actually booked another thing that, that I'm going to do just for a corporate thing. So at some point you just, I'm just bored. I gotta do something. So your attitude, do you think your attitude has come around to them? They were like, Hey, this is different than I thought this is better than I thought it was going to be because it's different. I'm not, I don't, it's not better than I thought it would be, but it's better than doing nothing. That's, that's where I've come up with. And and look, it's also at this point, people are starved for things. So, Mm -hmm. you know, the idea of watching like a, a baseball game or a basketball game with no people in the stands, you're like, no, thank you. And now you're like, yes, I don't give a shit. So there are people and they're also just and for the improv. It's like, I want to help them. So we did a zoom thing and they sold 300 tickets at five bucks a head. So, you know, I want, I want them to make money. I want to make money. I want people are just starved. So the expectation they know going into it, it's not going to be like being at a comedy show. And so at this point, it's like, this is the new reality for the meantime. So it's better than doing nothing. Is there a particular platform that you do prefer, like Zoom, Facebook Live, Instagram, or 
I'm sure there's other ones out there. Is there any one of the platforms that you like a little bit better than the others as a comedian? Not really. I mean, the Zoom seemed to, to work pretty cool, but I don't think to me there are, it's all basically the same the same thing. I don't think one stands out. I mean, I, I should start doing. I should just for my own personal do more do more Facebook and Instagram lives, just bullshitting and just talking. Cause I do feel like that's the one thing that's lacking in all this is it seems like we should just be talking about this more because it is a fascinating thing that's happening. There's lots of fascinating things and developments and interesting ways to look at this whole thing and uh, just be talking about this more because it is a fascinating thing that's happening. There's lots of fascinating things and developments and interesting ways to look at this whole thing. And, uh, but, you know, 10 years ago, this happened. I think people. Before we move in uh, farther into that topic, uh, die laughing productions. Have you guys thought about doing a zoom murder mystery? The improv, yeah. The improv had asked us. And then, you know, I started thinking about how to recreate, something we've already done and turn it into a zoom and that didn't seem to work. So I did have an idea, but nobody on Joe and Robbie haven't really embraced it yet, but Joe got married, uh, about a, you know, a year ago at the end of May. So, you know, almost exactly a year ago. So I thought about just, if we were to do a zoom murder mystery, the concept would be, you know, at his wedding, they received a bottle of something but not to drink it until their one year anniversary. Then we have this one year anniversary zoom party because of the situation we're in. And then they'd have a drink of it. And then one of them dies. And then we work backwards from that. Who, who was at the wedding, who had, why would they want to kill the person? And then it's all, and then it works that way from a zoom standpoint, because, you know, a lot of our deaths, it's like, how do the, you know, how, how did you give this person this thing to kill them? And it's a lot of it's based on you poison this person, but you had to have seen them. And we can't in this world where no one's seeing anybody. So that was my idea to make it Zoom friendly. We'll see if we do anything with it, though. It's also like, do I want to waste my time writing something that we only may do once and never again versus writing things that we can do in the future when we have actual audiences? again? So your thought process was to not take an old murder mystery and adapt it to zoom or just do it over zoom it was to write a whole new one based on the medium itself yeah and make everyone play themselves so we can every plot point and motive is based on a real personality and interactions so that would make it more personal and probably easier to write um and maybe cathartic we can get things out that we wanted to say to the other person that we've been afraid to say but we can say it through the act of a murder mystery maybe we'll do that i don't know but it's like you know, I have all these ideas and I'm like, you know, in theory, we should be using all this time to be creative, but it's harder to be creative in this stressful situation. Doesn't exactly give you, you know, inspiration. Sorry. And on that topic, the, the, the anxiety and the dread of everything going on and worrying about in your, your case, if you're not out on the road doing shows, you're not making money. So the financial dread, you know, the, the worry about going to the grocery store and catching something that's going to possibly kill you or knock you out for two weeks and then infecting everybody else. And, you know, Tawanda, your, your, your girlfriend at home that you live with and all of that situation, all that dread going on, you find it hard to write material with all of that in the back of your brain. Yeah. Um, 
And I'm also, the busier I am, the more productive I am, just generally. So, you know, in theory, you would have more time, therefore you'd have more time to be productive. But I tend to get in, I get into a rut. So, you know, if I was doing three, four, five shows, that gets my creative juices flowing. And then I think of other ideas that I'm, I'm driving home from a show that comes into my head. And I start thinking about it in my head Then I, you know, start typing it out. And then it, it just evolves from that. So, you know, without any of those things to sort of give me motivation. I mean, we're working, we, we have a new murder mystery that we've, that we wrote, that we, we've tweaked, that we haven't done yet, but we're working on a couple brand new ones. So, but I do feel like he, we can't come out of this and having just wasted three, four months of our lives, just watching Tiger King. Uh, and now <laughs> when this is all said and done, we know there's just going to be a flood of coronavirus and COVID jokes. Um, and I've been talking with other comedians about it. And my biggest worry personally is I have not written anything new during this. I may come up with a coronavirus here or there joke here or there that I tweet out and that's where it's going to live. It's not mm-hmm. something I'm ever going to take the stage and I'm not doing any new experiences. So I'm not writing anything new. Like mm-hmm. I'm rehashing old stuff and going back over them and like, you know, zoom and Facebook open mics and stuff, you know, and little comedy shows here and there. Um, and there's clearly some people who are just finding this to be their, their muse for, for it. So we're going to hear a lot mm-hmm. of coronavirus jokes coming out. Are you worried about burning out audiences real quick on coronavirus people just telling coronavirus jokes? You hear, I mean, a lot of the jokes that we have on Twitter and Facebook, we're all, it's all the same, the same eight jokes or whatever. And that's fine. That, but that's true for every, you know, pop culture or topical thing that's going on. I think when we get back to doing shows, people are going to be so happy to be out and ready to listen to comedy that I I don't, they might even be coronavirus joked out. I don't think they're going to be, I don't think you have to, it's weird to not acknowledge what we've been going through, but I think you can just get right to your set and just do jokes. Cause I, I mean, if you want to see a band, you don't want a bunch of songs about Corona to play, play the hits. You know what I mean? And so I, I feel like, yeah, you can make some jokes here and there, but I don't think people are going to want to go to a comedy club and hear an hour of jokes about the coronavirus. Okay. So you think people are going to want to move on past it once this is all said and done? Because my, like, I think we're going to have two types of coronavirus jokes when this is all said. Mm-hmm. Done. You're going to have coronavirus jokes, and then you're going to have my experience during quarantine. And I, that's what I want to hear is those, yeah. like those, like, mm-hmm. like, you know, I'm sure you're going to have some you know, material about being shut mm-hmm. in with, you know, your girlfriend for 24 seven, whereas before you're home all day alone without her. And then she'd come home mm-hmm. and you're like, oh, fresh new start. Now the relationships change and stuff like that. Or even, you know, talking about, you know, any of the situations that you're dealing with. Um, those are the things I want to hear from people because they're true to them. I don't want to hear just run in the mill. So quarantine, more like quarantine, mm-hmm. right? Like, I don't want to hear those. And I, that's what I'm worried I about agree. that are going to, uh, personally, I think that's, what's going to burn out audiences on, on the topic too. But no, I think you're right. Telling your experience. Cause everyone's experience is it's a shared experience, but it's, everyone has a different, you know, things that happen to them in different situation. And I, I would imagine, 
you know, if you have kids, you're suddenly you're home with them the whole time. You learn something new about being a parent. There's got to be jokes in that. <clears throat> Your relationship, you having more sex, less sex. You're fighting more, less. You know, have you changed? Are there people breaking up? A lot of interesting things that that can be talked about. And I think, I also think that you will be able to just talk. I don't think it needs to be jokey. I think people are going to be are interested. So, yeah, it doesn't have to be bum bum bum. You can sort of make observations and then lead that into your material. Uh, and then finally, do you think once this is all said and done and we go back, do you think, well, let's, let's do this as two questions. One, when we get to, when everything starts reopening, we can go back into society. Do you think this quarantine is going to change everything the way we know it going forward? Like comedy clubs are going to have like forever now are going to have less people. Um, and the, the the reason I'm going to ask this question is I just listened to one of the local clubs here in Boston talk about that when they're allowed to reopen, they're going to change their seating to have every seat six feet away from each other. And my thought is that's insane. But I feel like maybe if your capacity is 300, is capacity now is going to be 150? Or do you think we're just going to go back to normal and forget about social distancing and stuff like that? I think we will um, – I think we'll – We'll change the way we we clean places with sanitizing and Purell stations. I mean, when I do shows for the military on these bases, and you go into the dining hall, you the first place you go in, there's a bunch of sinks, and you have to wash your hands before you can go in and eat. Now we won't have that; it just doesn't make feasible. But we, I can imagine every place you go into, there's Purell, there's this. They've wiped everything down. But I don't think I don't think a comedy club or a venue can exist by getting rid of all those tables and seats. I mean, it's just the bottom line. So I think it will go back to normal. I think people will be more cognizant about washing their hands and things like that. Um, maybe people will, won't eat as much out. They'll just go and drink more. I don't know. Uh, but I think, look, 9-11, we're afraid to fly. Well, no, we got over that pretty quickly. So, I think there'll be, you know, like with 9-11, there'll be extra precautions, taking your shoes off and everything. But, and there'll be extra precautions with sanitizing and things. And, and you, we, we probably won't be shaking hands when we see each other, um, which I'm fine with. But I think we'll get back to normal faster than most people think. Because I think in our, we, we need this. It's not just, uh, you know, it it's part of our lives to, be, to have connection. It, it's... Yeah, it's not as necessary as, as food and shelter, but it's not that far below that. We need this. We we need interaction. We need stimulation. Uh, so it's just who we are as people. It's instinctively we're going to go back to it. And then finally, with all the digital virtual shows, do you think those will go away when we go back to shows? Or do you think people will still use this as a additional tool to the future of comedy. I think you could see corporate lunch comedy zoom shows, things like that. I think a lot of these like uh, news and, and sports channels that are having studio shows that are now just doing remotely. They might think, Hey, this, do we need this big studio and to have people that on set that live here in Bristol, Connecticut, or is it better if we're doing a show with four people from all over the country? We don't have this elaborate set. I think, People might find it interesting. Like when we had the NFL draft, people thought it was they liked going into these players and coaches' homes and gyms and seeing them with their kids and seeing their war rooms and and it, it seemed it seemed more personal. 
So I think people, there is something to that that I think that will stick around. And I agree with what you said. And I wanted to, I, I like hearing other people's opinions about that kind of subject too. I think mm-hmm. the, one of the good things that came out of all of this is that we have found a way to connect more personally through these things. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I'm sure you're a podcaster just like me. I'm sure you hear people talk all the time there where they say, oh, podcasting is a more intimate environment because it's uh, for the listener because you're so close and into them. Well, now we're looking at each other's homes. We're not just looking at each other yeah. in front of a green screen. Mm-hmm. Well, vir- uh, virtual backgrounds mm-hmm. aside, because apparently everybody needs to yeah. be at Hawaii or the Eiffel Tower for their yeah. weekly check-in meetings at work. But you're not doing it. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. um, yeah, we, I think it's interesting that we're getting a look at people's home. Like, I redesigned, you know, this is my podcast studio, and I have redesigned it to make this back wall look more interesting than what it are. Like, right. when I designed this studio at my house, it was to visually stimulate me. Because I used to face yeah. that wall, and I would look at this stuff, and I would mm-hmm. feel inspired and creative and happy and mm-hmm. stuff like that. And now I literally turned everything in the room, and now I stare at the screens in a blank wall and have all the interesting stuff behind me because I want people... Right to look in and see behind me and go, oh, I kind of know who Dennis is just by looking at that wall. You know, oh, there's bright colors. There's a a lot of, you know, uh, comic book stuff and stuff like that. And, you know, there's not, it's, it's, this properly placed microphone is not an accident, you know? So I I want, this is the inside I want. I'm slacking on that because I keep going around my house, figuring out where can I set up my, my Zoom, my Facebook live spot, that you know has the right light that I can have a backdrop that doesn't interrupt my girlfriend. So, and I haven't found a place yet. I was in the basement last week, and then not only the internet was as good down there. So that was you know in terms of privacy, but there's nothing interesting to look at necessarily. So I, I'm still haven't figured out how to set up my house to have, so I can have cool shit behind me because now I have nothing but this super old friggin' wallpaper. Crap. <laughs> yeah. We bought the house. <laughs> there was a part of me that went through. It was like, yeah, that border wallpaper. That's straight like all twenty three of Home Depot. Like that's. <laughs> yeah, we bought the house from this couple that you know they lived here you know their entire adult life, and so there's uh you know we've updated as much as we can, but there's still this wallpaper stuff that we've been slacking on. It's it's been on the to do list for four years. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and finally. Uh, where can people check out uh, the the listeners? Where can they check out all your stuff, uh, both you, Die Laughing Productions, uh, and 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 your podcast and all that stuff? Where are the li- what are the links? Thank you, Dennis. Uh, RobMare.com, M A H E R. Same on Twitter, Instagram, and DieLaughingProductions.com. Same thing, Instagram, and then the Rob and Joe Show. Myself and Joe Robinson, new podcast every single week. Uh, Rob and Joe Show. Just look on that iTunes everywhere you download podcasts. You're smart people, Rob and Joshua. Thank you, Dennis. Not a problem. Yeah, I'm glad that you're being productive and that you're that you're staying healthy. So we'll talk to you soon. See you, bud. Ah.